0: Welcome to another episode of Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability in the built environment. This week, we are talking about thermal comfort in building design with Hudder El Sharif of Calford Sedan, an award winning multidisciplinary property and construction consultancy, and returning guest, Andy Simmons, CEO of the AECB, who, if you're a long term listener, you probably know all about. If not, I mean, he's the CEO of the AECB. He has his own practice. He's all about passive house. Although, as we learn, he is willing to make compromises where it is wise to do so. So, this episode came about because at the AECB's conference a couple of weeks ago, Jeff got to see Huda speak about some of the projects she's been working on, specifically with reference to uh, her adaptive thermal comfort model. Andy and Huda have been working on project based in Tanzania, Tanzania as I thought we had to pronounce it before. Jeff came away from the conference incredibly impressed with Huda and he wanted to hear more. So he invited her on to talk about a project that she's been working on with Andy in which thermal comfort, low impact design are essential components. At the time of this was quite fortunate, unfortunate probably, in that we're talking about thermal comfort at the beginning of October and it is an unseasonably warm October which signals some significant change climate oh, change one might suggest. Anyway this tells us along with the experience of the last few years that in the UK and Ireland I mean across all of Northern Europe we need to be thinking differently about the way we design for thermal comfort because the temperature is changing and it's unpredictable. And really, we need to be thinking about adaptive design rather than building for the climate that we had 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Whilst the conversation is situated in the projects in East Africa, there's a lot we can take away. I mean, it was a really interesting conversation. I can see why Jeff was so enthusiastic about having her on and why Andy has been so enthusiastic about working with her, because he have been. And it seems warranted. We're well impressed. So listen on, talk about thermal comfort, recycling skills, thinking ahead for where things might be, air conditioning, its successes and failures are something that in the global north, we really need to be thinking about. Because if you want resilient building stock, you can't be relying on it because it's incredibly energy intensive. And if energy generation is an issue and blackouts are an issue, As we were warned last year in the UK, that doesn't make for a particularly resilient system. And we also talk about mosquitoes and that, which, if you live in the south, that's going to matter more and more. I mean, Alex went back home to the south of France in the summer and he said it was getting unbearable down there. And that's only going to move north. Anyway, right. Let us get into it. That'll come in in a minute. In the meantime, thank you to Calford Sedan for letting Huda join us for a portion of her afternoon and if you haven't checked it already check Retrofit Reimagined links in the show notes, there's more stuff still happening, the London event was brilliant. So props to everyone involved in that, particularly Sarah and Emmy. Alright, cheers thanks for joining us, hope you enjoy Cool, alright, well welcome Huda El-Sharif is that right?
1: Yes, Just Huda El-Sharif a-
0: Yeah. Cool, and yeah, welcome back, Andy Simmons, returning champion.
2: Thanks. Good to be here. Cheers. Did, did you say Huda or Huda? Huda. Huda. Okay, that's yeah. important. Actually, basic yeah. common courtesy get ah. someone's name right. You know. Yeah.
3: Hundred. I feel bad that I've been saying Huda. So.
2: You yeah, know, well, I was trying to. I, I was. I hope I was hoping you'd pick on up on that subtext, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank
0: you for joining us. Yeah. So today, we are talking about thermal comfort in building design. So it's not specifically about UK building design, but it is significant in light of the incoming preposterous temperatures that have been predicted for this for some areas of the UK this weekend. So Jeff, what what was it you said? Twenty nine degrees?
2: Yeah, that's that's what I've been hearing. Yep. Yep.
0: Where did you hear that? (laughs) Um
2: well not in either this this alpha. This alpha outside the bookies (laughs) <laughs> no, um, no. Um, I think my wife, who is an alpha outside so the bookies, no, um, no. Uh, yeah, I think it was twenty-nine degrees in Ireland. I think.
1: Yeah, it's even worse that it's in October. Not even yeah. summer temperatures.
0: Oh, my missus, she's uh, she's trying to go to for a swim in the sea this weekend. Like thinking, oh man, I can get get me sarong, get me sea shoes, get down to the beach. Like for real, the beginning of
3: October it's fine mm. if it's outside isn't it i mean you know i mean leaving aside what it actually implies about the state of the climate but there'll be a lot of people i guess who have houses where it basically is going to build up to something unpleasant in the house yes yes
0: anyway right jeff so you set this up you were mad enthusiastic about organizing this you've been talking about udder for a while no I, I haven't explained... you're a
2: liar you're a liar um <laughs> i i i know I, I may have mentioned something in passing. Um, because Andy's been uh, shouting on about how how uh, how you know the fact that I need to talk to to Huda. Um, all right, well that, that or, or Huda, was... sorry, as he said, yeah. <laughs> no, he That's didn't. All right. uh, no, rub it in
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, for for a good while, and I was aware of the research of, of Andy's involvement in the, in the research, and we'd written about uh, the Tanzania or Tanzania. If you heard, Andy, you were saying it's, it's well,
3: I okay, so I I was. You're, I'm not going
2: to go to you, Andy. Actually,
3: <laughs> no, you shouldn't, because I was I, I, I used to say Tanzania. And then somebody said, no, Tanzania. And then uh, I was then accused of being pretentious by coming back to the UK <laughs> and, and being so, you know, right on. So I now just say Tanzania here, but Tanzania when we're having conversations. This is it. It's pre- and Rhodesia. Well, you know, you've got to say Rhodesia rather than
2: Zimbabwe, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? Times Look, have- you know, two world wars and one World Cup. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, without any further orientalizing, <laughs> shall we? Shall we crack on? So, um, yeah, yeah. So, explain it, Jeff. Like, what happened? Rather than insulting Andy again.
2: Okay. Well, if I get to insult him again, it'll be a bonus. But basically, um, I was over at the AECB conference um, last week. Uh, last week, I'm recording this. That is, uh, what was it? The twenty sixth to, to the twenty eighth, it or something like that. Yeah, in the, in the past, past Jeff. exactly. It just like yeah, Britain's uh, all of your glory. Um, um so um and optimism
0: and hope. Um
2: uh. <laughs> yeah. And I Huda I gave I think two presentations. I caught only caught the second one. Um I missed the work the, the first workshop and I was just blown away. Um I mean it wasn't just uh how insightful and interesting it was. From my experience of of uh dealing with and listening to academics they're hard to, 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 to deal with and listen to. But Huda, uh, your presentation was not just really insightful, but, but really easy to listen to as well. Like you were a really good presenter. Um And um I just thought that everything that you're presenting, like you, it's kind of, you're kind of bringing forward insights that are uh you know uh if i was too pious and dogmatic about um approach but but what i think i know about sustainable building it would be uncomfortable but you know uh we we need to kind of uh to to uh to to look at the evidence and see see what it shows us and 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 i'm particularly interested in um your uh, consideration uh, of, uh, of the kind of the, uh, the user stuff, the socioeconomic elements of this, um, rather than just the technical stuff. Uh, and whether that's in the context of, um, Sudan or, or Tanzania or Tanzania or, uh, even closer to home, I think there's insights there, uh, that are kind of universal, um, while, while also uh, you know, uh taking account of the needs of people in specific areas. So yeah, uh, it was it was amazing. One of the best presentations I've heard for sure. You know, um, thank you. And, um, I'm delighted that you've that you've you've uh, agreed to to come here and kind of let let our listeners kind of learn about it too. You know, thank you. So you,
0: so Huda, you suggested Andy come along as well.
1: Yeah,
2: because
0: uh, you
3: two. Do you want to explain the work that you two have been doing? Yeah. yeah. Shall I explain where this actually? Well, how we met. If I could take you back to 1991. (laughs) We promise you'll have all the floor from there on in.
1: by yeah. the
3: i wasn't born in 1991 <laughs> no indeed okay. so, so i wasn't born in 1991 either um in 1991 i set up a, uh, a, a an architectural and build practice with adele mills my business partner and even right from the off we were involved with the acb so that's that network of you know network of enthusiasts basically and so in a way all of this that happened from here to meeting huda and this new this third phase of enthusiasm which i'm experiencing was interwoven with you know conversations with ACB experts and and, and and practitioners and so on but basically we, we kind of started out with the materials focus so we're doing a lot of like uh, exploring of uh, round pole construction and rammed earth and clay plasters and stuff like that we are of course, interested in low energy, and we kind of ended up putting those together. I think we called it eco-vernacular at some point. We were working in Buckinghamshire. And then we sort of got involved with the ACV Building Standards and Passive House, and we kind of went from not very good, not very well-performing buildings to buildings that did actually work much better. That was that whole Passive House experience, which then led to an ongoing exploration of building physics. So it became less about the standards, more about building physics. Um, particularly once you got into retrofit you need to do a lot more thinking about retrofit and it became a lot more interesting technically interesting so those were sort of periods of great enthusiasm a lot of learning and then we were approached by this birmingham-based charity islamic help and what they asked us to do was to be taken across to tanzania to learn about a project over there and that was uh it was like a was not an orphanage, but it was a it was a project set up to look after orphan children, but to in a permaculture context, so lots of life skills, um, lots of sort of growing. Um, but th- I think it's thirty acre site, and they had a series of houses they built, which weren't performing very well. So what they wanted to talk to us about was, uh, you know, could we could we redesign those houses and design a new house, in fact, for ten children so that was the sort of beginning of a process of understanding a completely different country completely different climate and it was hugely exciting you know for us to do that even particularly in a way because we'd you know we were in a different climate we could turn all of our attention to draft proofing and airtightness upside down so rather than airtight buildings using minimal energy we had to sort of create the draftiest building we could you know so it was a it was a very interesting period and the first thing we did was to build a test unit. So we understood some of what Huda understands you know, very well. We found a way to understanding it through building physics, first principles stuff. And we persuaded them to build a test unit, which we filled full of tiny tag data loggers and then learnt a lot about, did our design decisions mean this building works well? So we realised we had made some mistakes, we tweaked them and learnt in that way, which is classic ACB kind of way of, of going about things. And then we finally got the opportunity to then build that 10-person house based on that experience. And whilst it is starting on site, we were approached by, I think this is how it worked, Huda, isn't it? You contacted us because you were doing a PhD, is that right?
1: Yes. So um, I was doing my PhD about Sudan and building environmental buildings in that context. And I was interested in seeing other projects in Africa and how people took into consideration all the other aspects. And I was particularly trying to look at a building where you weren't just focused on very, very low cost solutions, which is kind of the majority. It's it's something like a, more of a modern house kind of thing. But even with if it's taking using the vernacular uh, concepts.
3: So where we kind of got to with that was we, although they'd approached us because of our experience with you know low-impact building materials, we kind of ended up taking a materials agnostic approach for two reasons. One is Every area is different. And there weren't that many building materials there in that it was a a sandy region. People were, villages had their uh, little businesses. They had local block presses. They basically built sand creek, made sand creek blocks. So it was a cement-based resource they were using, local sand. Not hugely good blocks, but adequate to build one and two-story structures. So we did look around a bit, see if we could find some rammed earth, you know, some construction quality soil to build, but it was really difficult. So what we thought we'd do is just, Designed the building that made it the most comfortable, healthy, low energy building we could using the materials that people were using day to day rather than make it even more exotic for people. So, concrete blocks, rubble filled solid walls, timber roof structures, and metal sheet roofing. So, that was our starting point, which I think was a very good, actually, uh, starting position for this. So, then when Huda approached us, we realized that we were all we were heading in the same direction. But we had some question we had some unanswered questions. Even the test unit we'd done had not answered some questions. And we'd been casting around, we had this idea that computational fluid dynamics, mm. this this modeling software, could help us answer these questions. I was kind of casting around who can do this for us, who can do this for us. And who'd who'd have been doing this? So suddenly we were just, oh great she can, you know, she can answer some of our questions. And you started bringing it into your PhD work, so we were getting something out of it, and I think you did. You benefit, yes. From...
1: So, so I ended up um building a, a three-zone model f- um, from my PhD, but I did use a lot of our discussions t- to form that basis, that understanding. The CFD modeling. The funny thing, Andy, is I actually didn't know how to do it. I knew how. <laughs> I I knew how to use Design Builder. I knew it had a CFD function. I was like, well, that shouldn't be too hard. Might as well try it, and I, I, I actually just watched a lot of YouTube videos and figured how to do it.
3: I think I knew that. Yeah, <laughs> we were learning together, weren't we? Basically, yeah. we were learning together, and and just having somebody else to ask the say questions of, you know, backwards yeah. and forwards was, yeah, was really valuable because part of it was, um, we wanted confidence to know that we are on the right track because building a ten-person house, you know with all our grand claims, this is going to be so cool to live in. It's going to be really effective at shading. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we didn't want to fall flat on our face. And we didn't I just want think it's to, 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 to you
2: waste know, either. I think it's important, important to stop for a second here. Sorry for cutting you off. I know Dan, you'll be annoyed at me um, for the edit, but if it makes your life miserable, <laughs> even better, right? Um, but bloody use to keep it in. I think it's worth pausing for a second to look at the specifics again just to go over that again Andy, the uh the specifics of, of what this build spec is because you know uh, you mentioned making it as leaky as possible but it sort of goes completely against i mean it's is if i was to uh uh ask somebody what would be you know if, if a passive house thermal performance wise is meant to be like the ideal whatever what is the worst way you could build a house supposedly to 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 uh from from an energy performance perspective so no insulation check um yeah. uh Never mind triple glazing or double glazing. No bloody, <laughs> no bloody glass, right? <laughs> okay. No air tightness. Uh, no mechanical ventilation with heat recovery, anything like that. And okay. yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay. That's it.
3: You know? Yeah. It's, <laughs> great.
2: All right. Well, I'll, it's just I'll, extraordinary. I'll
3: say, yeah. So when we sort of started thinking, how are we going to tackle this project? Coming from this passive house, recently, you know, passive house evangelical background. We did, of course, think, well, is it appropriate here? When we went over in 2017, we very quickly realised it wasn't, well, we didn't think we could put it off. It was rural Tanzania. You know, we were working backwards and forwards um, with Dar es Salaam. And so the eco-village is about 40 kilometres inland. We couldn't really see how it was possible or sensible to take that sort of approach. We we knew, you know, we knew that Passive House as as a building standard could deliver very comfortable buildings in this sort of climate, but not in this socioeconomic context. It's just the the impracticality. So basically we thought, well, what can we do? So although we didn't talk about the adaptive comfort model, we just looked at books and we looked at what other African architects have been doing, Francis Kerry is a good example. And also we looked at, you know, British colonial design, you know, white men living in tropical climates, wanting to be comfortable. You know, what did they do? Did it work? So we, we looked around a lot and we, we we got the basic principles of tropical, classic tropical design, which was, you know, lots of air moving across the rooms to keep you cool. Um, lots of shading, high ceiling so that the hot surfaces like the metal roofs or the roofs, um, you know, were sort of some distance away rather than the hot roof very close to your head. No insulation, oh. as drafty as possible. And this turned everything we were doing in the UK upside down. Yeah. You know, May I ask you a question? Um, like, what is tropical? What does tropical actually mean in this context? who, what
2: are you?
1: So tropical means hot, humid. That's what it, it's, it usually means. And what's interesting is when he explained the colonial and the white man in the tropics, what's interesting is the white man didn't understand the difference between hot, humid and hot, dry. So that was actually one of the problems about buildings, colonial buildings in Sudan. They brought things that worked for hot, humid and put it in the hot, dry climate, which is why it it was not as efficient. In a hot, dry climate, for example, you'd want heavy, thick walls. You'd want um, a lot less ventilation. You don't want actually too much ventilation because that air that is coming in is like 40 degrees. So it's it's just going to make you feel hotter, not cooler. So, uh, yeah, it it definitely works for the uh, context of Tanzania.
3: One of the things we learned, things we learned from the the test unit, for example. So um, an uncomfortable uh, time of of day for the girls, because we did also monitor one of the existing houses built by a German architect. The orientation was was not quite right with these old houses. Um, I say old 1990s. Uh, The orientation wasn't right. The uh, shading wasn't very good. Um, They had glass in the windows, which could be opened and with insect mesh in you know panels you could swap glass or insect mesh but they weren't perhaps open enough so you could get quite hot and stuffy in there quite apart from the fact that the the attic spaces have been built in such a way that became infested with fruit bats which obviously then sort of <laughs> caused problems shall we say you can you know what they do through the ceilings. ceilings were collapsing very unhealthy uh sort of environment but um and so we we had a data logger in that and we talked to the the girls who lived in those houses just to understand why it was uncomfortable when it was uncomfortable mainly around going to bedtime and during the night it was sort of uncomfortably hot so one of the things we found from the test unit was the amount of thermal mass you used in that building uh, was we used in that test building was problematic it held on to the heat of the day too late into the night It didn't let it go so what we really whilst the night was cooling down now you don't get cool you don't get very cool nights in Tanzania but you do get some useful cooling so the building itself we wanted to cool down as quickly as, as closely in line with nighttime cooling as we could but the concrete blocks have already absorbed quite a lot of, of heat so we decided we needed to reduce the amount of thermal mass you know those are Sort of things we worked out through trial and error and uh science, I suppose, that Huda probably knew, you know, implicitly from I guess her experience growing up in Sudan. Would you say that's did you know those sort of things?
1: Yeah, definitely. Because, um, it, in Sudan, we have that problem of very high thermal mass, and because at night it was so hot, you just can't stay indoors anymore. It's comfortable during the day, but at night. Which you'd find ironic that it's uncomfortable at night. So what yeah. people used to do to adapt is just sleep outdoors, and yeah. oh. that that was a big part of my study. That that particular behavior was a key part of why they were saving energy because those those twelve hours at night, their the air conditioner wasn't used. They were just using free cool air from the outside. But now because they're not using the yard, that that becomes time that is spent using an air conditioner mm-hmm. and a big part of my research was kind of going digging into the why. Why have they stopped? And I found that it was a complex of social economic change that comes with urbanism and modernity. Like, for example, the city, because it grew so much, it wasn't safe anymore, so they didn't feel safe sleeping outside. And that's something I guess you could relate to here, for example, in the UK. It is relatively safe, but a lot of boundary walls are very low or non-existent. So if you here in the UK tried to sleep outdoors you wouldn't feel as safe. Uh, another thing that changed was buildings were becoming higher. So people were no longer private in their own courtyards as they used to be, And privacy is a big part of their lifestyle. Another problem that they have was mosquitoes. The government in the past used to have a program to eradicate mosquitoes, but they just stopped it because of those pesticides were not very good for your health, as you can imagine. But because of that, there's just so many mosquitoes and malaria and people have kind of, the, when choosing when like the easier option, should they install a mosquito mesh or just use the air conditioner? So they, they chose the easier option, which is the air conditioner. Can I talk and
3: about I, mosquitoes? Yeah. Because that was a very interesting part of this project. Windows. So it is an area where water rises in this eco-village and it does in fact then go off in a stream and feeds various other villages. Even though there's been a bit of a a drought, a significant drought in East Africa, which has been affecting this, when we first went, certainly 2017-2018, there was quite a lot of mosquitoes there, you know. So it was a a, a significant part of the brief. So whilst you were creating plenty of ventilation, cooling air for the occupants, keep the mosquitoes out. And where do you do that? You know, bed nets, which I know you 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 really don't like bed nets, and I can see why having suffered that, you know, overly warm sleeping
1: yeah because they really really reduce the air rate and you mm. cool by air mm. flowing through your body and when it would get real really hot I, sometimes i just i prefer the malaria but other times if, <laughs> if, 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 if possible i'd literally move the entire bed and put it right under the fan just yeah. to be able to go yeah. to sleep
3: yeah, well, in our experiments with insect mesh in the windows or in internal walls, we did notice that it really does cut down air movement, doesn't it? I mean, you want, in some 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 weather, hot and humid, you really want that air movement. It is a lifesaver, moving across your body. So coming back to this, the challenge of windows. So there was a legal obligation on the um, manager of the for the manager of the site to provide secure. Uh, window security so if you look around houses around the the area outside the boundaries of the eco village uh, most people were not using glass they would put up some sort of insect mesh material some of it was quite coarse some of it was proper insect mesh you know the right size and then various versions of cast you know wrought iron um, security bars bolted out over the outside for security so the girls needed the same thing so there's one layer we need their security um layer on the window insect mesh insect protection was the other layer and then of course privacy is the other layer so what we worked we met um a couple of interesting architects working at a a danish initiative and they had already further south built about a hundred homes and what they were experimenting was very similar things so there's a number of people working in this area trying to pursue the same you know looking for these sort of solutions and they had been experimenting with the design with a two-story house um, to replace contemporary housing. ground floor was living and kitchen, and then upstairs was the bedroom. It was based around a lightweight steel frame, and uh, it used shade netting, which I think technically is not the same size as insect netting, but they were using that as a combination of a bit of wind protection, uh, shading, and also insect um, uh, keeping insects out and they basically were experimenting with the same things as us what's the security issues what's the privacy issues and does it allow enough air movement across so those 100 or so homes are actually now being monitored uh and um and, and and sort of more phd students i think are working on those so we learned <laughs> a lot as we were talking to them and we'll learn a lot more from that over the next two or three years but what we took from that was interesting understanding about mosquitoes so um, apparently they fly low. So the higher you are, the less likely they are to enter. The way they sense, um somebody to go and have a feed off is through CO2, but not necessarily just CO2 wafting around, it's concentrated points of CO2. So if they look at a window, let's say a glass window has been opened a crack. They will see a very high concentration of CO2 coming out of that window. And that is like the trigger. Let's go in there. Whereas
2: if I you have... give off a lot of CO2 then, because those little bastards always go for me and destroy me.
3: Well, yeah, I'm always the focal the, point when I'm around. You there. need Everybody to diffuse helps. it. You need to spread it out a bit and then they can't see so clearly.
1: They, they do have preferences as well, by the way. They do have specific blood types that they're especially attracted to. And whenever my dad visits our country, I tell him, it's, it's because you're you're well nurtured. You're coming from well fed. You deli- <laughs> you're delicious. Because you <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> he, he will end up looking like um, pasta strainer by the end of the day. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> there you so, go. Um,
1: yeah.
3: i mean this is based on research so basically this danish group were applying research into mosquitoes to inform their house design and we were then borrowing that understanding to help inform ours and in fact we took them on to help design these windows because they had some lovely ideas so the solution in our case was um uh, sort of large openings which were designed to allow maximum airflow across Children in their bedrooms, you know, bunk beds and so on, and in the living areas. We had a security screen that wasn't raw um, metal bars. It was a sheet of thin sheet of metal, not too thin, thin enough to be, you know, to act as security. And there was a factory nearby that produced, um, did laser cutting. So um, Hannah and Otis uh, developed a a beautiful pattern that they then sent the computer file to this factory in Dar es Salaam. And they cut out the, the pattern and produced us these lovely sheets, which we can then use as our security uh, screen over each window. So there was a bit of shading. They're painted white for a bit of reflectivity, you know, bounce any sun off that found its way past our roof shading. And, the, and there was just enough holes in it that, gave, that actually gave you a surprisingly good view out. So it didn't feel like a prison. It was rather an abstracted view, but it was a lovely balance, we thought, between the view out and the sense of privacy and security. So that was the first layer. Uh, second layer was the insect mesh which i said and then the internal layer is more to do with um uh, privacy and we've kind of settled on venetian blinds because it does two things <clears throat> and this is uh, came out a bit clearer when we've been talking to huda for a while venetian blinds you can change the angles and get some quite subtle um balance between privacy and daylight you know curtains you just shut it but more importantly you can also control airflow so if you want to sort of give privacy but allow airflow through, you can do that with the blinds in one position. So now those are quite expensive items, actually. So this this brings into this other, this other aspect of are our solutions something that could be copied by local villagers? You know, if this building works as well as we hope it does, well, it looks like it's working pretty well, <coughs> is it likely to be adopted? Or if it was adopted in part because people like some – parts of the design you know light and airy and modern you know plasterboard and plaster you know things like that sort of people like don't they and they'll go and copy it will they copy just the bits they like and it won't work so that's kind of the next stage we don't know we've we've got what we feel is a relatively low cost aspirational but not over-the-top aspirational design, <laughs> it has abandoned some of the aspirations that people, you know, if people are going, oh, we want glass windows because, you know, houses in the West have glass windows, or more importantly, we must have glass windows because we want aircon to go straight in and we need to shut mm-hmm. the rooms up. So we've mm-hmm. ended up with a bit of a weird intermediate kind of design, which I don't know what Huda thinks is, you know, whether mm-hmm. you think that's going to mm-hmm. stop its uptake or is that something that people could get behind?
1: Um, it depends on who you're talking about. If you're talking about someone who's very upper class, who's used to air conditioner, they're not going to adopt that. They're, they're going to go straight for the air conditioner. But I think for the wider majority of people who are middle class, they can adopt it. And I think it works well with that zone concept idea that they can apply it in some parts of the house where they have that cross ventilation, and then they can keep some rooms a bit more closed up in case they need an air conditioner there.
3: You've you've so, you, you've jumped ahead to your 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 magic zone method, which oh, is something that yeah. we're really oh, excited about. Can we get to that in a second? I just wanted to ask a question
0: about how the the handover of the the building to its users, because we've talked about the the strategies you've deployed within the building, and the fact that some of these strategies require some degree of change in behaviour of the yeah. occupant to maximise the value that you've created for them and you pointed andy to the idea that there may be contagion of these strategies in that if people see them working they will spread in the neighborhood now how much of a briefing have you had to give to the occupants because that there's the point that jeff raises that came from bill boarders and adrian lehman who we i feel like i'd never stop talking about them who who have evidenced the fact that if you brief uh a, an occupant of a building as to the intention of the design, they will be forgiven, be more forgiving of how they have to adapt the way they live to accommodate it. and consequently, they will make the building design much more successful. Did you build that into the handover process? like, and if so, like how did you how did you brief people? And is that information transferable from those
3: people to the next people getting to right. the contagion part? So the things take a long time to get going yeah <laughs> and they were I'm sorry I had to get a lot out no place. no 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 what I mean is this we're still in this process so right. so basically um you know I think it's been 18 months or so that the uh house the the main house now has been been built uh workers had to stop for various reasons and it started again so the uh the girls who are it's a single sex sort of uh, environment there, So um, the girls have been growing up watching these projects going on. You know, there's been other projects on the side. But so the test unit um, and we've we've spoken to them, we've tried to engage them. It's not that straightforward to engage in an Islamic culture, um, Mm -hmm. you know, us lot rolling up and uh, sort of Mm -hmm. trying to get uh, in a way to get people to say, what they think honestly because we hear a lot you know people trying to be polite you know yes of course we like it of course that's a good idea (laughs) it's like well we know some of the things really could benefit from their their feedback so that's taken actually a while to build that level of will they come you know tell us what they really think so the girls haven't yet moved in because um well because of stop and start nature of it they're poised to move in now, but we've been having some engagement sessions with them last time we went, where um, they started doing little experiments like holding uh, curtains up at the doorway to see how it affected wind flow and then to respond to how comfortable they they were with the curtain, without the curtain. Also, just how they might lay the house out, so they all went off to do little design exercises and some things they completely agreed on, you know, where the dining table should go and so on. Um, so they've actually started engaging. Now, when they move in, Hood has kind of drafted a sort of feedback structure, which we're going to have to work up because it can be a bit onerous and they're busy, you know, yeah. but we want their feedback, uh, their qualitative feedback, but also we want them to take some measurements. So we're going to get them to engage with the data loggers there. Uh, the farm manager is already taking monthly readings. He goes around the building and he sends us over the tiny tag data loggers, which then huda and archie at the acb (laughs) analyze and we can read the matrix and see how things working from temperature humidity point of view Um, it is really important dan as you say it can be quite difficult but we're hoping that in this next year we're going to get this full-on engagement from the girls from a really good solid basis of us understanding the science of the building and one year's data that also is invaluable with no one living there (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. Would it be?
2: Um, I don't know who to. You, you, because you, uh, you've, if you've done a whole bloody load of work on uh, on this, uh, you might have. You might uh, beg to differ, but I would have thought it should be possible. I know that that the bus methodology, which which uh, Bill Bordas, and Adrian Lehman developed, is available. Um, the under the the license is free for for uh, for like for for students. I think for post-grad students mm-hmm. level. For analysis and that that's exactly the kind of questionnaire mm. that yeah. uh, that you, you probably reinvented already
1: um i'd probably just have to simplify it for because they're children that's mainly it and yeah um i've i've done thermal comfort analysis in arabic and because i know arabic i knew for example some words are connected to emotions like for example if you say hot and you say warm they're not the same. Hot is a negative experience, and warm is a positive one. In Arabic, there's something similar. There is no bad cold. Cold is a is a good experience. So to try to okay. explain, no, I mean cold as in a bad way. It it I had to change the wording. So it would be interesting if I could find a Swahili um, native and discuss a little bit about them, but how they describe different temperatures and make sure that they're reflecting how they're actually feeling.
0: Oh, that's that's a really interesting so like being in a city like london mm-hmm. like there's an awful lot of uh, multicultural experience and cultures that are hard to penetrate because of the dominant culture is one that dismisses all of the cultures yeah. <laughs> and can't be bothered to make the effort to find out what's going on uh yeah. i mean the english uh specifically <laughs> yeah. and yeah like we talk a lot about uh, retrofit in particular having to get into a lot of so we're working on a, a project for about that's looking at retrofitting for social housing and i've been aware so i just i had a meeting uh just before jeff with uh trisha about engaging how we're going to engage residents to interview them so doing our own qualitative research prior to the development of this program uh, like what are their needs and. I asked a question about regional accents. You know, where are they from? What are we mm-hmm. going to be dealing with? Sort of, just what's the culture? And she threw back at me like, "Oh, I've no idea what the cultures are going to be. It could be anything. Like, because <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, it's London and Nottingham. Like, oh man, I hadn't thought about that at all. And this is something. This is well something. So it's it's not just in uh, Tanzania." Or if you're doing research in Sudan or anywhere Mm. else, like Mm. all of these places do have degrees of multiculturalism because it's not, well, some places do have monoculture. I'm from Cholley in Lancashire. That is well monoculture. (laughs) 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 But uh, yeah. Oh, thank you for that. That's really useful. (laughs) Cheers. Sorry, that was a long-winded way of saying, oh, cheers. Yeah, thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, You'd be surprised. Like, for example, I told Jeff the other day about a study that was done in houses in New Zealand specifically, and they were trying to see how why the Maori people were not happy in those houses. And they found that one of the reasons they weren't happy was First of all, these houses were built in the 1950s, and they were built for a white couple from the 1950s, where that the wife was at home and she was opening the windows and closing the windows and taking care of the house. So even for white couples now, these houses weren't comfortable because both co- both the parents and the children were all outside of the house, and because there's there was no mechanical ventilation. Because again, it's expected that the user is the one that's going to be engaged. But it was even more difficult for the Maori people because they like to live in bigger groups and in extended family settings. And they found these types of houses even more difficult to be in. So um, I actually had to read this study where they found a way to adjust and design a house that not only looked at how they live their life, but also their family structure and relationships and, and build towards that. And, and because of that, they were able to take care of the house and the house didn't have any problems with damp or overcrowding, and it just shows you that the social and the environmental aspect—they're—they're they're very intertwined. You have to kind of understand them together.
0: Yeah, they are inextricably linked. And if you don't try and make sense of them both at the same time, you are a mug, and you are mugging off the people who are going exactly. to be living in the place exactly. as well. But
2: it's, it's a fascinating. This is fascinating in the context. So we bring it back to a UK and Ireland context as well, though the assumptions in we've talked about this in the podcast before but the assumptions in, in sap in the uk and deep in ireland uh, deep is uh, the irish methodology is derived from sap um it's slightly different in the uk it's assumed 21 degrees in the living area 18 degrees in the rest of the space and nine hours per day monday to friday uh, at those temperatures um and uh, the rest unheated um, and 16 hours at weekends in ireland it's the same except for it's eight hours a day uh, seven days a week so it's like uh, the same house uh, in, uh on either side of the irish border would have all of the things being equal to have like about 25 percent higher estimated energy usage of north uh purely based on this assumption that that uh that uh british people are prone at weekends uh and sit sit around at home and irish people are are, are, are out <laughs> um, so um but it's but, but it's based i believe on an old bre test house from the 80s i think it was or so, so yeah. some research from the eighties, um which is not really fit for purpose anymore and and you think about i want i think about this from a from a, a, a building designer perspective or from building design perspective if you um you know, if you're designing a house, you don't know who's going to be in it in five, 10 years' time or more. Um, you don't know how their lives are going to change, even if it is the same occupants. Um, so,
3: yeah. yeah this, this, this 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 does make me think of this. Uh, one of the things that I think me and Huda and others that we're meeting now are aiming towards is this thinking ahead about where buildings might be or are not blocking things from happening, important things from happening. We're building so one of the quest what's been nice working with huda is that we always worry we've got a solution looking for a problem you know we've determined what the problem is the charity says well we have this problem so we're we're looking at solving a particular problem in the eco village but we want it to be more widely relevant so you know we are learning and and huda's been helping me understand this the, this is actually a real problem because what's going on so Um, If we're just looking at Tanzania, perhaps, and and thinking about these sort of low, medium, middle class kind of developments where people are settling, building houses, which are following a very particular pattern, um, you know, is that fine? What's wrong with those houses? You know, well, they are not very comfortable and therefore not particularly healthy, largely related to airflow. So that's ventilation for health, um, cooling, and uh, it's basically heat related issues, and then uh, developers are building particular types of houses, which are totally reliant in their design. They are designed for air conditioning, which gives makes them a very fragile building stock. Now, why is that a problem? Is that, you know, Global South countries not producing a lot of uh, electricity, so they can just go with air, air conditioning and, and it will be fine for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Well, clearly, that is a very risky strategy for reasons that we've, we all know, you know. <laughs> electricity supply is it secure how much electricity actually needs to be used why are you turning a whole house into an air con zone you know yeah. and this is where i think what Huda's phd has done is, is created really interesting strategy for future proofing designs like this
1: i think a key point that people in the uk might not understand and they might understand actually in the near future is that air conditioning is significantly more energy intensive than heating and you'll see it in the future when you see people turning their heat pump in reverse in the in the summer. You're going to see just how much more it consumes to cool. And that's why even in countries like America, in California, they have summer power cuts because of the, the effect of air conditioning. It, it just takes up so much. And because everyone around the same time is turning their air conditioner on, the, the power grid can just not sustain it.
3: Do you want to oh. talk a bit about the, this future proofing strategy that
1: we're? Yeah, yeah. Is, is this
3: the zonal
0: stuff as well? Yes. So, yeah. So, right. that's yes. Good. Finally, we have got back to it. Like it's yeah. been a while. Thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, I'm I my research kind of reached the conclusion that with the, the houses in Sudan, the way they're using it and the way there's power cuts, there uh, right now, it's just a, it's a situation that is really really difficult to solve with one solution. So, it's really hard to get an air conditioned building because financially they can't. But at the same time, being naturally ventilated is is very difficult because it gets to like 40, 45 degrees. And there's also the fact that because it's an extended family setting, you have different types of users using the building at different times. You have retired people who are using it all day, and then um, younger people who are coming at night and staying in their bedrooms. You have that conflict of social and private spaces. You have elder generations who want to be together. Whereas the younger ones want to be in their own room with their own air conditioning. So the concept that I came up with is really very much based on what is already existing um, in vernacular architecture. And three particular um, sources of inspiration for me was one... In Iran, they had summer rooms and winter rooms. So basically the house would be divided and their construction would be completely different. The summer rooms might be heavier, the winter rooms, and even the orientation, the glazing uh, amount. But the problem with that is only wealthy families could afford that. You'd need a lot of land to have half the house out of use for the whole year. And you had uh, another inspiration I had was Susan Rove's concept here in the UK of creating a cool refuge for vulnerable people. So with um, a lot of the building stock in the UK not really prepared for high temperatures, vulnerable people in particular can't really regulate their temperatures and it affects them a lot. So what she was suggesting is that people convert at least one room in their house into a cool refuge whether that be um, shading it very well putting it in a, a basement for example or just for example um even like installing fans in that room just somewhere for that person to be when there's a, an extreme heat wave but again that's like a temporary solution whereas i wanted something that people because in our context it's hot all year round it's not a, a one month where you need to survive and then go back to your normal life it's the, the entire year so the concept was adapted again for for a hot, dry climate. So it would look different for a hot, humid climate. It would look different for a cold climate. It's in the fact that, okay, so why don't we, instead of trying to get the house to fulfill all these different needs, why don't we utilize different zones to meet different needs? So there would be a zone that is for air conditioning. And to optimize for air conditioning, you need that passive house concept of small, tight, simple um well shaded lots of insulation so you'd have a zone like that which would usually be the bedrooms and then you'd have somewhere where it would be comfortable during the day without an air conditioner with just fans which would be for example a living room because then people can share that space and um, i suggested that you design it in the place that is the best shaded area in the room because you won't have the air conditioner and it will be a place where when there's a power cut you can use it And it works really well in the context of Sudan, especially because older people don't use the air conditioner much anyway, and they want a social space where they can all sit together. So again, it's it's fitting in all those different factors. And the final space that I suggested was using the roof space for sleeping. So the reason I said the roof space in particular is because of the security issue. Again, I acknowledge that the city has changed. You can't stay in the courtyard anymore. And also building a semi-enclosed structure in the roof shades the concrete below it. And uh, the reason I did that is because in my research, I found that concrete, when it's shaded, it's really, really good. It doesn't get very hot. But the moment you expose it, it becomes a lot worse than a metal roof because it, it heats up. It becomes like a battery. And that heat it just keeps it all through the night. And, and I remember I monitored different types of houses and the worst performing room was actually um, a concrete room that was really, really exposed. And it was hot during the day and hot during the night and it w- performed worse even than a metal sheet roof because at least the metal sheet roof was cool at night. So in that um, roof space, you have to provide um, privacy, you have to provide shading. So you're, you're, it's it would be very much similar to our design with the Tanzania project just somewhere private, um, airy, lightweight, because at night you want that heat to release and you want that metal roof to reflect back into the space. So I took those concepts. And while we were discussing in Tanzania, I told um, Andy, the problem that I've been seeing in Sudan is people tend to get economically better. And when they do, the first thing they do is install an air conditioner and they install it just into the house. No planning, no choosing spaces, no nothing, just Uh, just demolish a wall, put the air conditioner there. And so I told him, if we don't plan for when that happens in this project, they're going to close up all of these openings that you've built. And we see it time and time again where when people don't understand how a building functions, they override it for an immediate need. So the way that we're trying to do it for the Tanzania project is um, working out ways so that when it's needed um, in the future, they can install a w- something on the, the window frames to make sure that they can close. And we wanted, to, instead of closing each room, it's just closing on the exterior windows of the bedroom so that the whole um, sleeping area kind of acts like one unit. And- so that, Yeah,
3: so how that, in detail, how we imagine that working. So we apply uh, Huda's three-zone model, and we may build the next house, if that's what the charity want to do, with this deployed. Yeah. Whereas our current house, we've designed it so it has a retrofit strategy. So yeah. what we imagine this would look like, so in the bedroom wing, so basically the bedrooms are basically a dormitory separated by perforated walls. We treat that as one air-conditioned space. So we would put a single glazing. We've, we've run this through PHPP to check you know, whether it might uh, achieve passive house and of course, that brings in, if we were designing this <laughs> as a passive house, we'd have designed it as a slightly different shape. It's a slightly more inefficient shape, but it's not too bad, actually. So we'd have single glazing, inward opening casements on the bedrooms. They would have to be fairly airtight. So there'd be some rubber gaskets involved in that. So doable, but you know, still a bit challenging in that context. We would have to close off the ceiling ventilation holes so there'd be need to be a device that would, would close that off. Now, whether we could do something with cloth, I don't know. That might be a bit challenging. We would have to put some insulation uh, around the walls, and we'd have to put some insulation over the ceiling. So it starts to get, you know, a bit more challenging. Insulation is not something that's done in Tanzania, in rural Tanzania. It might be done for refrigeration equipment or something, but are not building. So we're already into an uncomfortable zone. Anyway, that would be the plan for that. The living room would be the adaptive space where yep. power cuts, you could still be in there and it's still functioning as a, you know, as a, a, a passively cooled space. In fact, the bedrooms in power cuts, you could open the windows up. And so it still can function as a passively cooled space. That's it has to be resilient. The bathrooms in real heat wave would be uncomfortable, but you're having a shower there, you know. Yeah. So it's actually less critical. So the three zone model would probably pan out like that in our current design. the other thing I'll say is about what what Huda's saying about concrete. So we have plasterboard ceiling. Um, Now, because the house is within a a, a sort of security fence in the eco-village, if that was anywhere else, I think most people would think that's a bit insecure. You could climb up there on somebody's back and bash through the... And and, and, and Huda's rather hair-raising stories about what's going on in, in Sudan in terms of bullets flying through roofs and ceilings made me kind of think about this if you're designing buildings for long-term you know long-term thinking probably need more security there and then using the roof so huda hopefully will find some time we'll find some resources to get to model solid concrete ceiling or a metal deck ceiling or something which will give a bit more security but won't carry this thermal mass problem Mm -hmm. that we've got and and will allow people to use the roof space actually was another very potentially usable. Area. Yeah. So these are the sort of refinements you want to be working towards. I am
2: i'm fascinated by this. When you talk about these kinds of models, um potentially uh, getting some sort of contagion or whatever, where they where they start, you know, because uh, really you want to see these things being being rolled out. And on the other hand, you talk about the fact that I mean, Huda, you talked about how uh, you hand these buildings over to people, and you know, in some cases, people are just going to try and lob an air conditioning system in, right? Um, exactly. Um, is there not a there's a real risk here with something like this that see, people will see something like this and think ah oh, I'll have something a bit like that and they'll come up with uh, their own mangled approach to it that that misses a bunch of the kind of key concepts uh, doesn't have the design rigor about it so how the hell do you protect against that do you kind of need to develop this into a standard do you need to uh, I'm going to saying this just
3: to annoy Andy do you need to kind of productize it well, actually, for once, I'm not going to react to that because one of the things, in, a, in a, if I had another life, I would like to become a developer in Tanzania and I would like to be servicing, you know, this sort of middle class uh, housing kind of market. I'd like to come up with the design and build them speculatively and sell them. I'm really
2: trying to annoy you now. It needs to become, this is the word that would, would, it's like a thing. I'm going it? to become
3: more and more zen the harder you try.
2: <laughs> it
3: needs to be aspirational. Yeah. <laughs> now, 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 that's a good point because we had a visit from a lorry driver while we were over there who went and spent some time in the house and he was wowed by it. And I said, Why is that lorry driver so excited by the house? And he said something like, um, It's so great to see something innovative in Tanzania. It was something about, you know, uh, a, a, a pride that a local village could get something like this going because it was so forward looking. It was light. It is light. It's light and it's airy. It has a feel of modernity about it and excitement, but it's actually not flashy and horrible and obviously really, really expensive. People can see it's made of concrete blocks, plaster, timber roof structure, uh, plasterboard. So it's kind of accessible. So I think there's something in that aspirational model it doesn't have it doesn't have glass so you might he might have said oh god this is some old ridiculous idea you know but because the windows were also quite stylish i mean if you've seen yeah. you've seen the photographs yeah. when the light comes through those perforated windows it is extremely stylish
1: and because that's what people really want in africa they want a modern looking house that still works with their lifestyle and the, their context but so they don't want the modern way of living. It's more the the aesthetic.
0: Yeah. Is this a case for contemplating a practical application for MMC of some sort, like something that could be locally produced? Because it's not like the the you mean designs... to this?
3: Yeah, yeah, like the well, steady on now. I don't know. I think the 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 finding a, a plasma cutter factory that would do this um, perforated metal was was pretty amazing, but. You know that's that's a good innovative, well, hey, easy. You know I can see that 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 is something that is offsite fabrication. They off, they made the windows offsite. Well, however, you, however, you can, yeah. yeah, well um, no, you can standardize window
0: design and size from yes. a single source. You can smash out loads of them, so you bring the cost down to uh, mm-hmm. its minimum. Like get your uh, economy yeah. of scale built in. But like in terms of building materials like you're working with local materials or localized sources of materials from which you can, you build the blocks, like literally the blocks. But if you've got the design standardized, folk can know what they are building for. So again, you can smash them out. It's not like, it's not well, the like blocks are already, a,
3: the, the, the blocks are, as I said, that the, each villages have several businesses one of them is one of them is casting um shapes for sort of perforated baluster uh, walls yeah yeah. but the main one is uh, as I said sand Creek blocks be made in block presses in little micro businesses and there is sand right there you know that well, is you, that is because you know, that's off-site construction I mean it is but it's, you know, it's
0: yeah not well I mean but if you're standardizing the sizes Across
3: well, they are the whole rights. region. Yeah, all I mean, right. all of that is already standard. But you're right about the windows, and and one of the things that uh, Hannah and Otis are doing in their project is they have worked with a particular company to make these uh, light gauge steel frames for their houses. So they actually have done what you've said, which is a a, a sort of standardized pattern book, pre-engineered using standard light steel section made by a company off site and brought on and, and and put together on site so they have done that you can have your re- regional window salesman knocking about the window <laughs> units could easily be turned into something like that for sure yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so, i i think the accessible aspect is a key part that we're not relying on imported products because in these countries because of the this um the currency difference any imported product no matter how small it is is expensive and it's also subject to availability it's subject to so sometimes in these countries they just put tariffs on imports because they think that it's not a necessity so it's the supply isn't really as reliable as when you rely on something that's local so i think it's really good that you're showing them that you can build something that is comfortable from your own local materials you don't have to import
3: i think that i think we quite strongly you know believe that People should have access to what's around them in order to put these buildings together. But we recognise we've designed in some critical elements. The windows are, well, maybe the window layers are not that critical. Again, it's a pattern language or a a book, you know, a design guide or just just copying. I think once you get into airtightness, there's inward inward opening glazed windows that need to be fairly airtight to reduce the losses when the aircon goes in. Mm. that would not be a site-built thing. That would be a specialist, you know, ideally local companies or existing window man- manufacturers would do it. But I, I don't know how that would happen because part of the problem is there are hundreds of thousands of homes being built which are designed for aircon. They're horrible, you know. There are there, so, so that's the market. That's where the kind of capital is going, um, mm. whether it's, you know, Chinese-funded developers or Tanzanian-funded developers, you know, they are building these sand creek block homes with fully enclosed hot roofs, uh, aircon, low ceilings, poor quality stuff. They're in their many, many thousands. I
2: know Which, what it is, what this it's really is really terrifying,
3: really. This
2: is um this is something for quite clearly for the UN's uh you, you know, for our, our mates in the UN and this UN affiliated buildings action coalition. Um mm. it's something that you'd you know, ultimately this this is a kind of design template that needs to be done in building regulations in a country. And uh and you need to be thinking about developing ways to engage with with uh the local local industry in terms of uh designers and tradespeople. To come well i'll and... tell
3: you what one good way might be when the president of tanzania opens the, this building which ah. she, she will be doing i think that could Maybe. could give us a bit of a head start on engagement so we could sort of see yeah. what opportunities arise after that one of the I mean, um I'm aware of the time, but one of the uh, insights that Huda gave us was, was these various stories she has. What was the um, your friend who, uh, when power cuts occur in her flat, she really becomes an uninhabitable yeah. very quickly because that's obviously yeah. what we're trying to avoid.
1: Exactly. So um, she was one of my research occupants, and. Um, I've actually, she's a relative of mine and I visited her with my sisters and then a power cut happened and they all just lied on the floor. They could not stand anywhere. It was that hot. That you, you can't even stand. And be, because it got so hot, um, I actually monitored her house after I saw how hot it was and within one hour of the power cut starting. So her, her air conditioner would be on 18, the coolest it would go. And then one hour later, it's 40 degrees. That 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 in itself is a shock to go from 18 to 40 in one hour. And it was really, really hot. And she had a really small balcony that she can't really use. So she'd stay in the car because her toddler is, because like I said, children are vulnerable. Her toddler can't regulate her temperature. So she had to stay in the car and turn on the air conditioner. Um, and, and a big social um, aspect of this was, so she was renting on the first floor And the other person who was on that floor um, was a a family member of um, the people she was renting from. So that other person in in that flat could go down and stay in the yard with the rest of the family, but she didn't have access to that yard. And I think that's a key uh, important point because a lot of people ask me in my research why I didn't look into apartment buildings. And I try to explain that's a completely different context. I was looking at places where people had access to a yard because once you don't have that access... That completely changes the dynamic. You need to find a solution for when there's a power cut because people don't have access to um, a cool space anymore.
3: Mm. One of the claims were well, quite rightly um, justifiable claims of passive house is that in a power cut, the building would in fact stay cool for many hours. You know, with the windows shut and I guess the ventilation system still running. Uh, so people who can afford a, a passive house in those sort of climates would be sort of okay for a while.
1: Yeah. Uh, that that yeah that's uh, until yeah until we can't anymore and then it will be really really hot because
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: once the heat seeps in uh yeah yeah
1: because yeah. at at the end of the day the insulation would also keep the heat in so yeah. with the air conditioner not there to kick it out or, anymore it's just i gonna think be we'd be going talking in there and
3: about out. yeah that would be a, a serious series of, of power cuts i think to lead to that i mean is the nature I mean at the moment the nature of power cuts is intermittent? You say they're like Sudan, very regular.
1: They're they're in most contexts and countries that I've seen, it's eight hours straight for three times a week. So that that is quite a lot. And that is uh, quite, yeah. the, the best house I saw could keep the cool in for like three hours. So I, I don't think you, even with a passive house, you could get it to survive the entire eight hours being comfortable without an air conditioner.
3: I think our our dream really is to have buildings which can go between, you know, either zonal passive house performance or whole house yeah. passive house performance and freewheeling, you know, yeah. naturally cooled performance just for resilience. Yes, yeah. the, this horrible middle ground of designing new buildings for rare con that then fail catastrophically is yeah. like the worst policy. And you
0: yeah, know, it it feels like this this adaptive model needs to be considered in retrofit terms, for the catastrophe that we know is down the line. Because if you're building buildings to only be able to exist with aircon, you know aircon's not going to work all the time.
3: Like, that's well, the is... right information. Yeah. So, you raise it's... an interesting point here, Dan, because, of course, this, you know, pa- passive house buildings in the UK are quite often, you know, described by people as you know now that buildings are much more energy efficient they can also overheat badly when in fact the reality is passive house buildings are, are less likely to overheat and in terms of adaptive comfort measures you can open the windows so you can do nighttime cooling if there's if that's available if we get hotter nights which we have had this year you have limited access to cooling and of course it's a much more urban environment you've got security issues and in such, people might not want to open the windows for very good reason so you are have problems then, and it's then people start thinking about cooling. But people are also already using adaptive behaviour. They're putting shades over their windows. They're using trendy coloured cloth to go outside, you know, to increase yeah. shade and heat waves. So we are starting to use those adaptive measures. I did something which felt really naughty the other day, which is quite bizarre. So I live in a nenefit, a, a passive house, um, uh, the, the, the sort of a retrofit standard for, for passive house. And we bought some fans, electric fans, standalone fans, because uh, the boys, the teenagers, run quite hot. And uh, I hope so, you've been so, self-flagellating, Andy. I yeah. know. Well, it felt wrong. It felt like I wasn't allowed to do this in a passive house. How dare I use such an adaptive method to increase airflow? But it was really nice. And it was only because there was a period of time where the temperature had gone up to like 26 in the house. The, the criteria being not over 20, uh, sort of no more than 10% of the year over 25. So our building doesn't overheat in terms of Passive House criteria. But occasionally in these heat waves, it will get up to 26. And I don't like it. And just sitting there with a the fan, it was wonderful. Why did I feel that was a sort of wrong thing to do? You know, Because Passive House good. people are zealots. That's why. <laughs> are they? Well, I'm a Passive House yeah. person. Am
0: I a well, zealot? Yeah. <laughs> but you, you, you've got a sort of... Uh, a like a Catholic's
2: he's guilt. He's being de-radicalised. Yeah. <laughs> You're like somebody well, who's leaving yeah. the Church of Scientology.
3: You've just <laughs> wound
2: up a lot of my colleagues with
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: defending you. <laughs> Since he came up with this carbon light standard, he's changed,
3: hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Going off the rails,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, so aware that we're, we're past the hour, I'm sure, what do yes. we need to talk about before we wrap up? Like, what have we not talked about? Is there anything,
1: uh, no. any tales to tell? I feel we've covered most of it. And also because I need to catch the train. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. well,
0: brilliant. Hard Here finish. We... Um, Yeah. So, uh, Hoda, do you have anything you would like to plug? And you're welcome to plug your employer as well, who's very graciously given us the time with yes. you today. So I'd like to make sure they get a mention.
1: Yeah. So um, I work with Calford Seedon um, at the sustainability department and we do a lot of work with um, passive buildings as well. And I really love that they're also kind of engaged with my research as well. So right now we have a paper with the SIPSI Symposium that we're working on that will be talking about a lot of what we discussed today. Um so that that three zone model. So I'm I'm hoping to kind of um show it to a wider audience, discuss it because I think it has a lot of potential being implemented.
0: Oh man, well, when that is published, uh make sure you share the details with us and we'll make sure it goes it's published on our or we we promote it on our page.
1: That's lovely. Uh, Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, Andy, you got anything to plug? Obviously, you're you're winding down your year now. The uh the conference is over.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: I think I'm now. Yeah,
2: I mean,
3: i put them in a in a cardboard box in the honest. garage.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, line it with straw.
3: I think yeah. I think I think it'd be. I think um I'd like to thank uh Adele Mills because she you know that we we have basically donated uh, almost all of our time on this project uh, on the Tanzania house design. Uh, and also I sort of uh, ACB of kind of like, well, we've decided between us that we should do more work around extending our understanding of buildings and building physics into the Global South Mm -hmm. area. And so all the staff have agreed that's a good idea. And in fact, through our involvement with the Building Action Coalition, this United Nations Environment Programme project, they're interested in us doing that as well. So it feels like it's a useful thing to do. So both Simmons Wells Architects and ACB are kind of, you know, I'm I'm very pleased to be doing this. So I'm glad that both organisations have been supportive to getting us to where we've got to.
0: Excellent. Well, make sure we've, uh, after this, send us the details, all the links that are relevant, and we'll make sure they're included in the show notes. So anyone who's interested in what we've been speaking about today can (laughs) use those as a first point of reference for investigation. Right. I,
2: I would also add just as a second Dan, because i think that this is important to say anybody who thinks that this is a, a very um a, an affront to passive house and that this is like a fissure it's not abs- absolutely not there's um this if you are a passive house not there's a there's a way i think with with this kind of thinking that you'll lead to probably more passive house projects being being built or has being integrated into projects that realistically they were never going to be integrated into and there's learning here which can be applied to make pacifists even more robust in the context even of the uk kind of uh climate too you know um, well, I mean, it,
0: it's really necessary like things are changing and i'm particularly struck by this zonal approach because like the house i live in is going to be affected but it's not throughout the house there are a couple of rooms that are you can seal them off effectively but i know mm. the front of the house. That's gonna be if it if we'd been in it last year, the uh, summer would have been unbearable. But uh yeah, blah blah blah. All right, well, thank you so mm-hmm. much for your time. Thank you You're for joining. Right. All right, so uh everyone join ACAN, join the ACB, join the IGBC,
2: check her own space. Did you say join the AECB? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you? All right, okay. No, I don't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: Um, I think he did. I just heard. Well, getting, yeah, yeah, he's getting yeah, I did.
2: too popular. Andy, Andy's gotten. The, you know, uh, he's he'll become even more insufferable. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so
0: uh, please review us five stars. Nothing else will do. It's not because we're needy, like we sometimes say. It's because the algorithm is so needy, and mm. we want this to be accessible to as many people as possible. If you get some out of it, you probably know someone else who will as well. So share it with them and. If you need any help with anything regarding strategy in terms of sustainability, decarbonisation, give us a shout. We love talking
3: about this stuff. I think that's it. I think on that last point there, I think what we the new area we're going to is interesting. It's this working up the Building Action Coalition proposal because we're going to them asking for their support, actually. So we are we have got a document and we're trying to find that delicate way between uh well being generally white middle-aged men trying to do something useful abroad um but also <laughs> not pissing off the passive institute too much so um <laughs> there's some delicate delicate wording going into it
0: oh man well good luck with your diplomacy um thank you. all right well thank you for joining us cheers bye you, pleasure see ya